Welcome back to the Film Hole Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor. And I am your co-host, Raul. I just demoted myself to main host, co-host. Senior host, senior co-host. I'm a filmmaker. And I'm a scientist. Every week we watch a movie. And we come together and we talk about it. What did we... <laughs> what did we do this week, Raul? We watched a couple of movies. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a departure. We watched uh, two movies, El Dorado and The Lost City of Atlantis. Yeah, I think the Atlantis one is just called Atlantis Lost Empire, but they're both uh, animated movies from the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Very early 2000s. Like 2000 and 2001, I mm-hmm. think. What possessed us to do this? It's I don't know what possessed me. I just said these two movies, and it immediately clicked into both of our minds that these were... Yeah pivotal movies from our childhood and i think we both kind of understood even before researching it any further that they were somehow it made sense that those movies should go together right yeah very like in retrospect and like the more we watched it like i think the more proud of we were of ourselves for selecting this as a double feature because it's hard to get like a better pairing of things i think and just to be clear when i when i first brought it up i didn't know that they came out one year apart in 2000 Uh 2001 i i wasn't aware that like their plots so closely mirrored one another's because it had been such a long time since i've seen them yeah for me like when you initially said it like the thing that made them click to go together was just like the animation style yeah yeah. like that was it agreed that's what i was gonna say but they are like the similarities don't stop for a long ways after that Mm. similar plots both about like lost ancient cities which is like a really like kind of a niche like plot plot device between two movies Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm I'm sure we could go on and on but those are like the big ones yeah and it was cool because i think i'd seen road to el dorado like within the last five years i'm gonna say okay nice but uh it's been a lot longer since i've seen atlantis i think to to be fair i think i actually had given atlantis a reviewing also in the last like five years that's interesting because it uh that very closely mirrors like how you and i felt about each film hmm. you're a bigger atlantis fan i was a bigger el dorado fan yeah yeah it's because i think that each of us you know, within the last five years have had time to like process more about those movies right right i've just been meditating for five years like right. on this on the reviewing i have awoken i am not a god i am a man <laughs> <laughs> so what'd you think overall I really liked both of them. I'm surprised that I had the stamina to like move all the way through them because it's two hour and a half movies and we had a 15 minute intermission. And I think being able to do that in the comfort of your own home is a feat in and of itself. Yeah. That was cool that we were able to do it and do it comfortably. And we like a few people in our group, we like talked for like an hour or something afterwards. Afterward, yeah, that was a marathon session. I thought, I thought these are like the two best movies we could have chosen to watch together because it that it's it's dreamworks response to atlantis i think atlantis came out or is it the other way around yeah i think it's the other way around the fact that it's like dreamworks (laughs) (laughs) versus disney is really cool if we were having a very philosophical conversation about these two movies as they were happening but philosophical is probably not the right word we were ha- we were analyzing the films and talking about the romanticization of colonialism 
we thought that uh, uh, the road to El Dorado was like really romanticizing colonization of Latin America. Really? Yes. You know, we see Atlantis as like not a real place, whereas this was a lot more like historically contextual in that. Yeah, it's, um, it's like a real thing that happened. Like the aspects. Right. Yeah yeah, 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 like the colonization of Latin America and the the of white conquistadors as gods and I just felt like it was hard to watch this time. Like I, I've seen it in my adult life at least one other time. For some reason this time kinda made me cringe more. Yeah. More than ever. Yeah. The Eldorado. Eldorado. Yeah. And maybe I should have cringed in Atlantis too. I, I don't know why why the movies hit differently. Maybe they shouldn't. But. I I think the goal of these two movies, I mean, as a business, you're just trying to pull viewers. The goal of these two movies is to pull the kids and the parents. And the two movies approach it in completely different ways. El Dorado has like Elton John and <laughs> sexual <laughs> sexual scenes and, and like a little bit of violence and kind of crude humor. Mm-hmm. Whereas Atlantis has some like really smart jokes that I never picked up on and it, it pulls the, the adults that way. Yeah, so that was really cool that we all just had the, the energy to do that. Like a, I had a blast. I think that, you know, they're kids movies, so there's nostalgia there, I think, for everybody. But it's also just like very easy to absorb. Not a lot to pay attention to. And what you do pay attention to, you're like rewarded for because there's like more adult-like jokes in there. But we learned, I think, (laughs) with our adult brains also like analyzing these kids' movies, we also like learn how problematic they are. Mm -hmm. And so that was like a weird experience that I didn't really see coming, but makes sense. But overall, I just had fun. I'd had fun like looking at cartoons and being nostalgic. Yeah, I'll, I'll parade all of that. I mean, it was just so cool to rewatch these movies. And they're fun. I mean, in particular, Atlantis is a very action-packed movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it really does get, like, the adrenaline going. Like, I was into the, the stories and all the fight and chase scenes, mm-hmm. th- which were so, like, beautifully animated. I, I think this was um, early 2000s. is like, around the time that computers and animation started to meet for the first time yeah mm-hmm. like before then what's like the the latest hand-drawn animated movie you can think of the latest hand-drawn yeah animated movie? like when did that switch go like there was a spider-verse i guess it's that's kind of a fusion though it's like meant to look hand-drawn i don't know how many movies are truly made hand-drawn anymore because we've gotten really good at faking not for a long time so i'm talking about like there was a time period where like Disney made the switch, like all their classic movies oh. were hand drawn, and then they're Got like, it. "We're gonna go into this new direction," and it's just been there. Yeah, I'm gonna guess like mid two thousands is when that happened. I'm just gonna look it up because I, I. Here we go. Got a Quora post, and the winner is Winnie the Pooh two thousand eleven. <laughs> I don't know. This is <laughs> this is not fruitful. Okay. Okay, so maybe that was just like a return to like their their classic format. Yeah, I mean whatever. But I I do know what you're I I know what you're saying. I know that like there was a point when hand drawn stuff was like thrown out the door. Like Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. 
all that. Well, those are really far apart. Like what you said, Cinderella. Are they? Oh yeah. Like Cinderella is like early Disney and then Beauty and the Beast, I think came out in the nineties. What about, uh, Ariel, Little Mermaid? Someone in the chat said like eighties last night, like late eighties, but then or then or the nineties. Yeah. Okay. Well, those are the kind of movies that I'm thinking of when I'm thinking old Disney, old style. Yeah. And then I'm with you. Yeah, like new Disney is like all the stuff that looks like what Pixar was making in the early 2000s. Right. Uh-huh. Bugs Life. Mm-hmm. Did, did you know this? That like the the two movies that we watched, El Dorado and the water movie. Atlantis. Atlantis, Waterworld, <laughs> were like not very well received critically when they came out. Really? Yeah. Well, egg on their face. These movies egg on their face. are great. I think they might have like gotten a little bit of kickback for the use of like CGI in them. Really? I think so. I, I think that was huh. like, part of it. That's interesting. Same thing with like Star Wars, right? Like people hated the CGI. Yeah. Whatever, man. I had fun during all the movies we're talking about right now. And, <laughs> like, and the prequels. Do you feel personally attacked right now? A little bit. Everything yeah. you love everybody hates <laughs> yeah fuck you guys it doesn't matter i like what i like what was what was i gonna say oh you're talking about this fusion of traditional and digital animation techniques in these types of movies so like both these movies have combinations of 3d animation and like traditional hand-drawn stuff and that was a big deal around this time i guess and uh, we watched this like special feature thing before the movie where one guy was talking about the like this method of combining both styles and he was like i think the road to el dorado really represents the tradigital convergence of animation he said wow he said tradigital that's great and i'm like what a word that like never caught on (laughs) (laughs) i really liked that tradigital that's a good catch but uh anyways like the i do enjoy the way those two styles pair in both of these movies i think I mean, for, I guess, what critics didn't like about it, I thought it works really well in these movies. I think so, too. I mean, I have a hard time, I mean, just because I'm not familiar with the techniques that they used, even parsing mm-hmm. out what was traditionally animated versus what was computer-aided. I mean, except for, like, a few exceptions where it was very clear mm-hmm. that they had tried something like that. It's funny, another overlap between these two movies is that, like, both the large, like, vehicles, whether it's, like, ships or submarines are both like 3d elements in the movies mm-hmm. so like the submarine is cg and like all the ships they come on over to uh, uh south america and el dorado those are all cg so uh-huh. i guess like transportation has is easier to do in computer animation but i know what you're saying about like it being difficult to parse out what's what because in that same special feature i was talking about there's a guy who's like i think you know doing 3d characters in this movie is really like a a cool unique thing i'm proud of and they're showing footage of him like animating one of these characters but Uh in the movie like i always assumed that that character was hand-drawn like it looked like hand-drawn animation to me like on the computer screen Uh uh-huh and i was like whoa that's cool you know and this was in like the early 2000s and this is like also kind of not my area of expertise but i'm way more familiar with like animation because of my job than i used to be and even that was like whoa like that looks about as good as any 2d animation that i've seen i think a lot of the backgrounds were probably hand animated i think like if i had to make any call on what was or was not computer generated 
or computer aided. I think like backgrounds were painted and then characters overlaid on it. Mm-hmm. I think that for sure. Yeah. All the all the static stuff that doesn't move, that doesn't require any physics or anything like that. Yeah. But in any case, this is overanalyzing because the, the end product looks great as far as I can tell. Yep. So I think that, you know, as we're talking about visuals, I, I think maybe we should sum up this, these two movies really quick. So I'll take Atlantis and you can take El Dorado. Sound good? Mm-hmm. So the story of Atlantis Lost Empire, 2001, is uh, Milo Thatch is an academic. He's a scientist who works in a museum, is an expert on all things Atlantis. He gets a rare opportunity to go on an expedition to find Atlantis. Spoiler alert, he finds it. He meets some native people there. And then there's like some secret magic as to why they ended up being under the sea in the first place. And that's about it. It's sort of the pretty standard Disney movie beyond those details. Yep. And then for El Dorado, it's just the same thing, but with El Dorado. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Guy's name is Milo. Yeah. So there was a scene in El Dorado where we thought that somebody had called one of the main characters Milo. And we were like, did he just call him Milo? But it was my lord. Oh. (laughs) We were like, wait, what? But no, okay. So quick synopsis. El Dorado takes place in sort of pre-American colonization, the 14th century. Yep. Whenever Columbus lived, that's the time it existed in. (laughs) The two main characters are like these Spaniard thieves or just mischievous people who for some reason end up on Cortez's boat headed to Cuba. They then are caught by Cortez and there's some kind of fleeing scene where they take a small boat out into the ocean and then eventually hit the coastline of America somewhere, Central America, I believe. And they find a civilization, which I think is supposed to represent the Mayans or the Aztecs. I don't know if they're actually supposed to have. Yeah, I think it's ambiguous, but definitely influenced by those two cultures that you mentioned. Do you know anything about like the real legend of the city of El Dorado? Does that have any more details? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I feel like it's, it was compared to like Lost City of Z in some research that I did, but like I don't really know beyond that. Other than just what I've seen in this in this movie, where it's like supposedly the whole city is built out of gold, but uh-huh. I know nothing more than that. I like vaguely think that there might be a similar legend about the Mayan people that mm-hmm. they had like a whole thing, like that they were rich in gold or something like that. Mm. The only thing I associate the Mayans with is like the calendar, the end of the world calendar, and aliens. Uh huh. And that's really bad on my part, actually. I should not associate a whole culture with just like conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to, I mean, I probably should have looked this up before we started, but there, there's more to this. But anyways, back to the movie. Mm-hmm. The two main characters find the civilization, which I'm like vaguely think it's the Mayans, and they immediately think that they're gods and hold them up in their society. And mm-hmm. then the two main characters take this as an opportunity to just kind of relax and take all of the gifts that they give to them, all the gold that they have. And this eventually just leads to, you know, what happens from there? Help me out here. Rescue me. <laughs> Without spoiling the movie, basically, they take advantage of the people. They're trying to get all the god gifts. And then their plan is to escape and go back to Spain and use all the gold to live like wealthy lives. But take some twists and some turns and some other characters show up. There you go. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> Things get a little complicated. Twists and turns and some other people show up. <laughs> <laughs> Not all goes well. Cortez shows up again and ruins ruins everything like he is known for and then the guys do get away they do get away safe and sound but they don't make it out with all the gold nor are they regarded as gods so really it's just like back to square one 
for them. Are they? What is their plan to make it all the way back to Spain? Or yeah, because remember they had that big ship that they had them build. The plan was to sail that back to Spain and just like cash in. Okay, I'm not a sailor, but that ship did not look like it could cross the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know. I mean, other people were. It's we. It's weird to me to think that like people alive back then were able to cross anything on a boat. Just like the limited amount of technology back then. Like these guys are just on these giant wooden ships all analog yeah i think for the time those boats were like the pinnacle of technology totally like they were like what governments like spent a lot of money on like improving and they were just like marvels modern marvels for their time yeah i remember talking about this with someone recently where it's like back then the idea of like being a sailor and going somewhere like out into the ocean was like the equivalent of like sending someone into space now yeah yeah it's like you knew so little about like what was beyond your shore that like you had no idea where that person was going or like if they would come back or what was out there it was like a whole culture and i'm sure it was like a high status high paying kind of endeavor or career but nowadays completely undermined by the fact that you can just like take a 10 hour airplane ride anywhere in the world anywhere in the world yeah yeah so crazy throw back to a time when the world was a little smaller (laughs) but both of these i mean we're getting off track here a little bit but boats are really only a thing in the second movie that we watched which is el dorado we watched atlantis first which is a an interesting order that we picked because atlantis both came out the year after el dorado and also chronologically within the history of like exploring it comes later because atlantis is in like the 19th century yeah or it actually might be in the the 20th century i think i maybe saw like 1902 or something in one of the documents ah right atlantis 1914 1914 okay that makes sense but both are about going on adventures sort of expedition type adventures to find a lost city and they both run into native people and then there's magic at both places both of the movies kind of like play with the tension of this kind of like colonialism slash like explorer tension of like whether or not they're exploiting the culture that they're meeting up with or not Mm -hmm. they both kind of like tap into that same kind of energy and it's interesting how both movies have kind of different stances on colonialism at least if you just analyze it because maybe these are kids movies so sometimes it's difficult for me to assign someone knowingly talking about any of that stuff like it's probably just a byproduct of people trying to tell fun stories you know Mm -hmm. but anyways we're in atlantis the people who are trying to exploit the native people are uh the bad guys very easily like the the general and his assistant are trying to like steal the crystals or the magic or whatever that keeps the atlanteans alive but in el dorado like those are just the main characters who are doing that Right. They're trying to steal the gold from El Dorado, and that's the whole joke. And in the end, like, if you're watching the movie like you're supposed to be, I guess, like, you want them to get away with the gold. This this is something that was very interesting to me. Like, the, the bad guy in El Dorado, uh-huh. what did he do wrong? He just is Cortez, I think. is. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about the guy from the city. Like, their leader. Oh, the priest or whatever. Yeah, he seems fine as far as I can tell. I mean, he went he went nuts when he figured out that they weren't gods. That's what he did. Yeah, as he should. But before that, he was pretty innocent. No, 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 that's not true. Because he tried to do a human sacrifice 
and then but they do all of that already right i just can't figure out why we're supposed to not like this head priest guy other than the fact that he looks like an evil character i mean if you're just going very surface level i think it's like the human sacrifice and the fact that he wanted to cleanse the city and like he had his like guards posted everywhere like that was all him i feel like that's the reason we're not supposed to like him and then he turns into a jaguar and tears up the whole town yeah he did kind of go crazy at the end Mm -hmm. but i don't get it i mean it part of the the sacrificing thing if this like civilization is based off the the mayans or, or other central american civilizations it's definitely projecting i think that the the people at large in that society don't like it like that's maybe not historically accurate but within the context of this fictional city i think it's supposed to be that the people don't like the human sacrifices but they have to do it because zackle khan tells them to it was clear that people didn't seem to like this head priest guy right and i i feel like they do that very early on where they make the other leader the chief the really big guy they make him out to be sort of this like man of the people character uh-huh. where he's he's more in touch with like the public opinion but zackle khan is like protecting them from the god so they have to listen to what he says too uh-huh this was the part that i was thinking about a lot like if you want to try to make a judgment call like uh, on how ethical these movies are it kind of like for me hinges on the this bad guy priest character i felt like he wasn't properly motivated as a bad person hmm. he's just like a religious figurehead you have to take like the sacrifice thing like at face value as just like part of their cultural and religious tradition and if you do that i'm like this priest guy is fine uh-huh and then when he found out that they weren't really gods he's just like a guy trying to basically you know siding with his people and trying to protect his people uh-huh i mean i guess you just have to accept that like human sacrifice is inherently wrong at the beginning to buy into that like you have a big check mark at the beginning of that argument where it's like do you think it's okay that people do human sacrifices and if your answer is no then you're like in a disposition to not like what this guy's doing yeah i think that's this is why the el dorado more than atlantis is like ethically a little ambiguous because it's exactly that kind of like thinking in the first place like taking like western values into this civilization that like allows you to justify what ended up happening to like the real civilizations that they're supposed to represent Uh you know just kind of this colonialist mindset Mm -hmm. of of the savage and you if you can attribute savagery to this civilization because of their customs and you are more inclined to you know do whatever you want with them right exactly you feel uh, empowered to do anything to them to change like their life in in any way you see fit but yeah i do think that atlantis is more ambiguous for that reason and just because it's like fantasy it's like atlantis is like obviously the themes are there but atlantis is like a myth very more so than like el dorado at least in the context of the movie because it's like based on like some uh, people we know a lot about yeah, I think that's a big difference. Like Atlantis mm-hmm. is like a fiction. The people don't exist of Atlantis. And even like the uh, El Dorado features a real historical character, which is Cortez. When you Earlier when you said like, I don't understand why we're not supposed to like this guy. And I thought you were talking about Cortez. And I interpreted that because the movie portrays him as a bad guy. But really, mm. he doesn't do anything terrible like until the, like the end. 
this is like an alternative reality where Cortez like never discovers the native civilizations and like turns back to Spain or something. And I think he just didn't discover that one, but maybe you're right. I think they were in Cuba actually at that point. Okay. But that gave me some real strong like Inglorious Bastards vibe of like making a fictional movie based in a historical event and then twisting it at the end. We were talking about that in my other podcast, uh, Good Lord Bird. Good Lord Bird is historical fiction. But I do, the whole point I was trying to make is that like Cortez, I th- I feel like the movie has these weird kind of like pro-colonialism things going on in it, but it seems like to get itself out maybe early on. And I don't know, this was like made in 2000. So who knows like how woke people are were about stuff like this back then anyways. But it almost seems like the whole Cortez is a bad guy right from the get-go is like them being like, hey, we're not down with colonialism either. Look how look how bad we drew Cortez over here. Like, look how bad of a guy he is. Definitely. And definitely. then it like is just, it's able to forgive everything else in the movie. This was a long time ago too. I feel like I've only ever heard the like anti-Columbus. Sorry, am I mixing up two people? Columbus and Cortez? Well, yes, you are mixing them up. But like, <laughs> I mean, they did similar things. They went to the Americas and fuck shit up in a really irreparable way. Okay, those two people are now the same person as far as this conversation is concerned. Okay. <laughs> but I feel like I haven't heard like too much anti-Columbus slash Cortez kind of people farther back than like the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of narrative has become more popular Yeah. recently. I would agree. So it's kind of interesting that 20 years ago, this movie would right off the bat take like a uh, Cortez is like a thug approach to it uh-huh and we should say too i don't know if you remember this but like the community college in like my hometown like their mascot is like the conquistadors oh yeah dc3 i remember my dad like my dad i guess is kind of ahead of his time in this way but like he was always like i thought we thought it was so fucking stupid that that was their mascot i mean you could say the same thing about pirates though right where it's like your mascot is someone who committed like mass murder and rape and and shit and like killed uh-huh. a lot of people but, like, pirates did that shit, too, and, like, so many people have, like, pirate as their mascot. point I'm trying to make is I, I feel like that is relatively recent also, just the whole anti-colonial thing. Because I was taught about Columbus in school. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know. Maybe they still teach about, they probably still teach about Columbus in school. I mean, you don't not teach about, like, Hitler in school. But I guess I should say I was taught about him in, like, a redemptive light. Yeah. Look at this guy. He discovered Discovered America. Yeah. Which is so... Ah, even that just sounds bad now. Discovered America. It just doesn't make any sense at all. There are already people there. They discovered it. Like, it just sounds so stupid now when I'm saying it. But I like yeah. I never questioned it before. Right. We're like, yeah, w- discovered America. We all know what he means. We're talking about Western culture discovering oh, man. America. How problematic is that? We just exist within the sphere of Western culture. Yeah. This week in the film hole. Back to these movies. I mean, we're kind of talking about these movies in a different way. Do you think that despite like the problems that each of them exhibit, they're still like entertaining films? I think so. And just to be clear, I have no issue with the uh, the Atlantis one. I think the only one that's that feels weird to watch is the, is the El Dorado one. Uh huh. And I was thinking about this more about we have no issues with seeing like gruesome historical events portrayed on film. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking again of like the fictionalized Inglorious Bastards or, or his movies about slavery. Well, he'll just take those and use that as the setting for the movie. But there's something about making a children's film out of it. And obviously they can't 
like broach any of those concepts head on in a children's movie there's something about just introducing that that makes it kind of sinister yeah and weird to look at i get that like we all know how that story ends right like the eradication of all of those cultures right i don't think it was intentional but that's not to say it's forgiven but i do think that you know back then just that was just like part of life it was this idea of the explorer coming to america and so people would write stories about that it's just a colorful setting for a story to take place yeah like i don't think they had any sort of agenda with that i mean people rarely do when they make mistakes like that but and for for that reason i should say like i acknowledge all the issues with it and i think that i would be hesitant to show at least like el dorado to my own children (laughs) like until i was able to explain it to them in a in a woke way but i think all of that stuff considered, I still like and en- enjoy these movies and, and entertained by them. Yeah, let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's mm-hmm. talk about some funny stuff. Mm-hmm. Due diligence aside. <laughs> I really like the jokes in both movies. I felt like anytime you watch an animated movie from your childhood, I think since we we were kids, you know, they've been building in like jokes for the parents in these mm-hmm. types of movies. And, like, watching them as an adult, you, like, start to pick up on that stuff yeah. more and more, which is fun. It's like you discover little Easter eggs in your uh, your childhood movies. I think someone in our chat said something about there's, like, a P.T. Burnham reference. Barnum. P.T. <laughs> P- P- Barnum reference in uh, Atlantis. And I think we can all relate to that. What else did you like? I would love to talk more about, like, Atlantis and just go over that movie. Yeah. In a little bit more detail. Mm-hmm. How cool is Atlantis? The story or just this movie? The story of this like badass civilization. Yeah. I've always been like intrigued by Atlantis. And like who isn't, I guess. But I've always thought the idea of like ancient civilizations with like advanced technology was a cool, like a fun story. It is cool because like nowadays, more or less everybody is kind of at the same place technologically, Mm -hmm. like around the world. Like, some places don't have access to it just because of economic reasons. Mm-hmm. You need infrastructure. But, but all of the technology is essentially just free. It's just information. Uh-huh. So it's cool to think of, like, even if it's fictional, like a time when one country would have completely different technology as another. Mm-hmm. It's like a video game. Like, if you're playing, like, Fallout, when you discover the Institute and just everything looks different. and Yeah. Yeah, it's just something kind of cool about that quick like sidebar to that something that i hadn't really thought about but is a real a real thing and i thought about this because i would like spend a little bit of last year interviewing people who are currently incarcerated and they talk about how some people have been in prison so long that like technology has had time to significantly develop so uh-huh. like when they walk outside like they're really like flabbergasted at like what technology look like, looks like it's almost like traveling into the future like, you went into prison when there were no cell phones, and now it's like there's the internet and smartphones. How does that work on the inside? There really aren't, I mean, maybe this isn't surprising, but there really aren't allowed that much technology access. No. And, I mean, it's not like you wouldn't know, to like, what a cell phone was when it was invented and how people use right. them. But I think it's just, like, the sheer exposure to, like, the modern world and how it relies on technology when you haven't been a part of that for uh-huh. a good chunk of your life. Wow. That almost seems like extra cool. Like that's not built into the incarceration system. That's just a byproduct of no. the fact that. And it felt, when I talked about it, it felt like kind of this like, I don't know, more modern idea. But 
it's in the movie like Shawshank Redemption, which that's still modern, but what time period did that movie take place in? That movie took place in the fifties, I think. Oh, uh, so fifties and like they get out like yeah. in the eighties or nineties or something? Not in the eighties, but like one guy had been there for a long time and he got out and then he saw like cars and streets and skyscrapers. It was just oh, not, wow. not like what he went into prison seeing. Have you ever seen this movie? There's a couple of movies like this that I really like. There's one movie with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence where they're, they were imprisoned like in the 30s or something. Uh-huh. They, they're put into like this, this black southern prison. And then the whole movie takes place in the prison. But at the end, when they're like old men, they escape. And then they go to like one of the last shots is them at a baseball game. Uh-huh. like a modern big stadium and they're like freaking out <laughs> it's great it's it's one of these great like 2000s movies what's it called again oh the movie's just called life sometimes i just like think about the world ending because of the world that we live in right now but not in any serious way i just do this like thought experiment where like man if like society collapsed and like you know a big portion of the population died but humans still survived and lived on and you know like generations would advance at some point we would like revert back to tribalism right so what do you mean revert like just go back like we just like we lose we ever leave trevor i guess not if you look at it that way whatever you distracting from what i'm trying to say (laughs) that if like that happened if we just all became like tribes again what's to say that like that hasn't already happened once you know if like Ancient civilizations rose all the way to the top of, like, technology uh-huh. and then imploded on themselves. And, like, we just haven't figured that out yet. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Would that have happened, like, farther back? Uh, like, known history is, is like, we know about the Egyptians and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that it's, like, something that could have happened in the last two to 10,000 years or, like, even farther back? So isolated from what we know that it's just, like, is self-contained could be either or but i think the argument's uh, stronger for even before that yeah so far back that just like every trace of it was destroyed the last ten thousand years or whatever like known history that that is just like the earliest time that we started taking like notes about what we were doing mm-hmm. but like humanity itself maybe is a lot older i don't know i'm not a scientist no i mean it's a cool thought but i, I think that i'm not an expert either but i think that we like probably can say with high certainty that that didn't happen without us knowing about it because it's never like the technologies of the atlantean people is like not real right it's just like it's essentially just magic and so because we like know that there are no magic we know that essentially any new civilization up and coming one would essentially have to do a lot of the same stuff that we did Mm -hmm. hit a lot of the same like milestones as far as like agriculture and then like industrial revolutions Mm -hmm. it it might look fairly similar and, and then uh, knowing that, I think we probably know that if that had happened at some point before, that we could be confident in our ability to know about it or detect it. Mm-hmm. Archaeological kind of stuff. Anyways, back to these two fucking movies. Sorry that we uh, can't keep our thoughts straight. How do you think the like advanced civilization thing translates to the El Dorado people, if at all? Because, I mean, in Atlantis, it's like this is obviously a fictional fantasy world where people have magical powers and everybody's like you know, hundreds of years old or whatever uh-huh. but the mayans and aztecs are real people but there also i think seems to be a lot of folklore surrounding those those people specifically 
like more so than uh, a lot of other native people of the Americas. And it's like, I, I think it has to do with them predicting, uh, possibly predicting like the end of the world. And so some people think that they had really advanced technology or like further along than a lot of the other world or like knew something about aliens that we don't, there just seems to be like a lot of mysticism associated with those guys more than any other real like indigenous peoples. I, re- I relate that 100% to the conspiracy theory stuff. Really? In my mind. Okay. I'm like, the people that think, like, the Mayans were, like, special or something like that were just, like, people that believe in aliens. Well, yeah. I- they were they were just another culture like the other ones. I mean, they were one of the bigger ones, the most the more advanced ones for their time uh-huh. as far as, like, their ability, you know, for architecture and, and technologies, but they weren't extraordinary. No, but I think that, like... The movie is like playing with that idea, right? It accepts that there's magic, you know, in this world. And so there's a lot of like fantastical things. So I think it is totally fine with the conspiracy part of that. So I think it's using the sort of myth of those cultures to influence like how El Dorado is sort of this like myth-like place. Uh, It probably is true that like there was a mythical story of ancient American civilizations that preceded any of like the modern weird alien Mayan calendar kind of stuff. Yeah. That is probably true. All I'm saying is like in Atlantis, you know, they have magic and technology, but in El Dorado, what do they have? Magic, I guess. They've got some magic. They don't seem to really yeah. have any technology in El Dorado. But they're also incredibly rich for some like unknown reason, which is to tell us that they're doing well or something. Yeah. I've always thought this to be a little strange where it's like if you lived in this like isolated society like the people of El Dorado do and like your biggest thing is that like the city is made out of gold right and that your city is a utopia because you have all of this gold but it's like if you're if that one resource is in abundance where you live like it has no value to your uh-huh. to your culture it's like dirt that's how I always took it, like, when, when I hear this story told. And so I don't understand why they perceive it to be something great, or, like, the I shouldn't say it that way. Like, the movie kind of paints them as, like, this rich people or something. Uh-huh. The, like what you said, you assume that they're doing very well because of all the gold that they have. But the gold is meaningless to them. I think it's, I think it's like, um, meaningful, but just, like, not as much like a thousand times less valuable than we value gold or something like that. Yeah. Like for them, it's like, um, I'm trying to think of like a counter example where it's something that's like held in high status, but is nonetheless really prevalent. Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I can't think of any because <laughs> something being like inherently valuable and rare is is like correlated one-to-one with people finding it, people having reverence to it. Mm-hmm. Because it's their thing, right? They're like the gold city. But how can that simultaneously be true and also be infinitely abundant? Yeah. No, I just circled back to your exact point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am also now confused about that. (laughs) I mean, whatever. It's a story. It's a story about a city of gold. It'd be cool to find something like that. I will say the artwork in El Dorado, I enjoy a lot more than the Atlantis artwork. I think just because it's based, it's like heavily based on like the Central American, like Mayan Aztec, like art style. And like by artwork, you just mean like the animation style, or like the the stuff that they were animating, like the look of the city. Both. So like a good example is like the title sequence, where mm. it's like a real world landscape, but it's like 
painted in this very like stylized look of that tribal artwork that I was just describing. And it's like very colorful, like there's a lot of like right angle sort of lines, even the way the gold like moves down the river, like has a style to it. And it being based on like real historical art, I think makes it just more interesting to me. That movie in general is a lot more colorful and warm mm-hmm. than Atlantis. Atlantis is very kind of, it makes me, it's very blue. So it just makes me think of like water and hard, cold stone. I think this is one of the reasons that like the movies like pair so well together because they are these very strange looking Venn diagrams of one another where like they have so much in common, but the things that make them different are often like inverses of each other Uh or maybe not inverses, but like contrasting enough that they are complementary. And like the example of that is like the color palette, like you said, like one is very cool and the other is very warm and vibrant, but also like their points in time. Like one was during like early 20th century in kind of post industrial uh, revolution America. The other one was, 14 or 15th century Spain right before Europeans came to the Americas. I don't know. Just like the things that are similar are very similar and the things that are different, like go well together, play off of each other. Well, it's interesting how that works. Think of opposite characters in a video game or like in a TV show. They're similar in every way, but then just one thing is flipped. Mm -hmm. Maybe the main character you know it's like a super saiyan and he has like orange aura (laughs) but then the bad guy they just change it to a different color right it's bender and flexo Uh whereas like flexo is exactly the same as bender but he has this little goatee Uh, right this little like soul patch goatee (laughs) and he's supposed to play off the trope of like the evil twin Uh which is the exact you except for one thing flipped Mm -hmm. maybe let's talk about this like the stories of the main characters between the two movies Mm -hmm. So, like, Milo, I think, fits this kind of, like, archetypal nerd character. This, like, geeky academic who is, like, in over his head when he wants to go exploring. and But also, at the same time, very, um, like, obviously very excitable about his work. Mm -hmm. Like, a true nerd, like, a, a fanatic. Yeah. And it's, he's very much painted as that amongst his, like, peers in the, in the beginning. And it's even more elevated because he's in love with, like, a mythical city, of all things. Mm-hmm. And the other movie, Road del Dorado, is about, has two main characters. And I heard in the special features, you know, that kind of the motivation for creating these guys were, like, someone was like, let's make a movie about, like, the sidekick characters that you see in all the other movies that never have their own movie. Really? And that makes a lot of sense to me here because they are these kind of, like, half-wit dudes who, if you can think of other movies, think of, like, Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, the the two kind of, like, doofy characters that get into a bunch of mischief, but are in, like, all the movies. I, I attribute that whatever character d- dynamic that is to these guys, where it's just, like, they're two idiots that would be on the sidelines in any other movie, but it's their own little adventure. Yeah. And that's, like, reflected in their morals, right? Like, they're very, like, selfish con men. Like, they're tricking these, like, people in the streets of Spain when you first meet them. When they get to El Dorado, they just are there to take the gold. And the whole movie kind of centers around them trying to, like... I I think that it's still 
wants them to have the gold like they still want to have the gold by the end but ultimately they get away with nothing and so i think the movie is trying to say in some way that gold isn't everything as weirdly as it says it yeah but my whole point is just like these characters are very different between the two movies in terms of their morality motivations and also how they line up with typical like leading characters it is also weird the fact that there's two of them that essentially hold equal status as as leading characters Mm -hmm. automatically means that the movie has to be about their relationship does that make sense yeah Uh uh-huh it immediately changes the dynamic of the movie kind of like internally whereas uh, any movie with like one leading character is a is character versus world Uh uh-huh it's this very like centered kind of storytelling way and this kind of flips it it is very strange i feel for like an animated movie the whole two character thing the whole two character thing what do you think about that i can't think of any other examples i mean if i say pirates of the caribbean again i mean it's not an animated movie but i always like early on thought about that movie as like who's the the main person here like is it jack sparrow or is it will turner but i will say that 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 movie franchise kind of the characters aren't really together for the whole time right right so in a lot of times it always feels like many slight uh slightly unrelated side quests mm-hmm. like in futurama like where when you have like story a story and b story mm-hmm. that's the way those movies felt to me yeah but beyond that i mean it's like i'm sure that the whole dual character thing and i think it's just my limited thinking that's being projected on those movies and road to el dorado where i'm just like there just needs to be one main character but like storytelling is more complex than that it doesn't always work that way yeah who is your favorite character in each movie in each movie yeah. for atlantis i have to say unprovocatively the the main character <laughs> i think is a real just straight arrow he was like the voice of good the whole time. Yeah. And and he, for a sort of stereotypical nerdy academic character, mm-hmm. can also like get it done in the field, you know? Yeah. Like amazing, like athletic ability, just like jumping and climbing shit. Uh-huh. Real Indiana Jones. Yeah. Vibes. It's weird. He's kind of like an infallible character. I mean, his only weakness in terms of his character is that he's a dork, right? <laughs> but like that's fine. Who cares? Yeah. If you're a dork. Like it's so it's mainstream to be a dork now. Like people like that. But like other than that, he's got like no like problematic like motivations. He's the the guy that when they found Atlantis, he was like, No, we need to get out of here. Like these people are like living off of this life force, like we need to not disturb yeah. them. He was never not on the side of good. The only reason he got caught off on it was because he was misled mm-hmm. about the nature of the expedition. Yeah. So ultimately, I guess not a character that really develops too much. Yeah. But still my favorite guy. Yeah. Be- because he's an academic and I'm an academic, if I wasn't uh, clear enough about that. Yep. That's the level of my analysis. Yeah. I see myself in him. What about Eldorado? Who's your favorite? Um, I'm trying to think between like the two lead ones, which one like I liked more. Mm-hmm. I like the, the blonde guy more. Yeah, me too. Miguel. Just funnier. Yeah. And he's he's kind of that same like voice of good in this movie whereas like Tulio, the black-haired one is sort of this cynical like realist. Uh-huh. And Miguel is like kind of a dummy, like more innocent, more childlike. Miguel was the one who initially like started this trek, right? He was the one that was excited about El Dorado. Right. So he kind of mirrors Milo in that way. 
where he is just excited. Yeah. And then like ultimately when he's met with the thing he was looking for, he was like, this is like more beautiful than what I could have pictured. And we need to not like do these people wrong. Like we need to be careful with our choices now. Right. Right. I forgot about that because one of them was more reserved than the other about like being too show offy Uh while playing God. Uh Uh-huh. Miguel, both of them actually, I thought about this. Miguel doesn't end up staying, but he kind of acts like he's going to stay in El Dorado. Mm -hmm. Like he's dressed up in like the clothes that the native people have given him. So he's like assuming the role. And Milo does the same thing at the end of Atlantis where he dresses in an Atlantean clothes. Yeah. And he's like in Atlantis at the end of the movie. That's a good parallel right there. Mm -hmm. They both start and end in very similar places as far as like the main characters and the lost city that they're going to go visit. I thought that like there's an interesting thing in El Dorado where, you know, the character has to make this decision about if he's going to uh, stay or go with his friend and he ultimately chooses to stay. And I think the movie kind of portrays that being like the separation of their relationship where he's like, I'm going to stay and you're going to go back to Spain. But then he ultimately decides to go back with him. But is that also just endorsing this idea of like, we went and then we like peaced out, like ultimately like we belong somewhere else. How's that like that they didn't reconcile their friendship? You mean? They did reconcile their friendship. I just, I'm saying like the movie could have ended where it's like they all just stayed in El Dorado. Oh, I right. See. Why did they leave instead of all Why did the movie choose to make them leave ultimately? Like ultimately like the end goal was for them to get back home and like out of El Dorado. Whereas like a perfectly happy ending could have been that they stayed in El Dorado and that they like didn't let the conquistadors in either because they could have blew up the gate either way. I guess what if that made like too much sense because their entire time that they were there was like basically fraudulent. How would you think they would be accepted back into their society too easily? I mean, I think here, here, this opens up another can of worms that I have to talk about this movie. Because I think by the end, both the chief and the priest know that they're not gods. Yes. So they would have to deal with that. But the chief, at least, is like still totally okay with Miguel staying. Uh-huh. Like he is actually inviting him to stay. Because they have that whole scene on the boat where he's smoking the cigar. Mm-hmm. And he's like, to error is human and he gives him a look and there very clearly communicates that the chief uh, the yeah. chief knows what uh, knows what's up but in that same conversation miguel is basically asking if he can stay and so the, the uh. chief is like yeah totally like i totally know that you're not a god but you're welcome to stay here yeah so all was forgiven right by the end and i had this theory that maybe it, it's just being chalked up to uh the chief being very forgiving but i also thought maybe the chief just knew the whole time you know, like maybe when he first showed up, because there's this chick, Chell, like that they meet, who's also a native, but somehow immediately knows that they are not gods and like does not mm-hmm. subscribe to what everyone else in the whole city believes for some reason. Right. So that makes me think like there must be people in the city who like are wise enough to figure this out, right? That these dudes are not who they're claiming to be. That's a good question. I don't know, actually, because I, I don't I don't have any gauge whether the native population is like as fanatic as that priest guy. Yeah. I'm not even sure if he really believed there were gods at the beginning. I don't know. He was like the only one that really seemed to be kind of pushing that agenda. Yeah, I don't know. But my point is that I had this theory that the chief just like knew the whole time that they were not 
uh, gods. Uh-huh. And I imagined this scenario. This is totally just like my imagination, but like I imagine this scenario where like his people were like not doing well, like sociologically, uh-huh. like just the morale of the city was bad and maybe people were like going hungry and, you know, like leaders have to do this thing where they want, like need to inspire people like in, in times of famine or whatever, like try and keep the, the spirit of the troops up. And I think if these two like foreign dudes showed up and you're like, hey, the gods have come back. Isn't that amazing that that like gives your city uh-huh. some kind of hope? Oh, wow. So that so that he my theory was that he did it intentionally. He just like went along with the ruse just because he thought it would ultimately be beneficial for his city. Uh huh. That's like totally believable. Think so? Yeah. Another another theory I had is that he knew, but he thought that it might help best the priest guy because right away it was clear that the priest guy and then like the big chief dude like were not aligned with each other. Right. They have some kind of. It seems like. Why is that? I don't know. Why? What, what is their relative power dynamic between those two? To me, it seemed kind of even. Like maybe the guy, the chief guy, was like a head politician, like had more formal authority. Church but and state. The priest guy had church, like, yeah. like yeah, yeah, exactly. Like how the Catholic Church existed alongside, you know, mm-hmm. many political states back in, back in the heyday. Yeah. And so I thought that might have been an option, that he like saw that as an opportunity to strike against his political enemies. Yeah, I love this analysis Damn. of the movie, like talking about the. Damn. The politics of El Dorado. Put on put on your academic voice. Let's go. Uh, well... I'm not doing this. <laughs> the people of El Dorado are obviously socioeconomically classed as a pluralistic society uh, constituted mostly of henceforth rights drawn upon the church and subsequently the political chapters and institutions below them. <laughs> <laughs> The real question is whether or not this kind of pluralistic division of labor could be extended beyond the political reaches of the society as as it's defined. Uh, Douglas talked about this in his 1976 novel. I'm going to do the ancient aliens version of this. Okay. Where it's they're just like super confident and excitable. See, I don't I don't I don't just think that the ancient Eldoradians were visited by extraterrestrials. I know if you look at the carvings very clearly, that's a spaceman. And so I know that the ancient people of Eldorado were visited by extraterrestrials. Okay, and now now it's your character and my character, and we're doing like a CNN like debate. <laughs> okay, S- sir, I I think you're out of your mind and and uh, insane to think that you could be peddling these these conspiracy theories on the air. I, I my, my 16 years of academic study, I have never encountered somebody as inane as you. Well, I've never encountered someone as inane as you. I mean, how do I know that you're not working for the government and covering up this well, extraterrestrial uh, nonsense also? Well, well, well that, that is uh, not worthy of response, sir. I say it's worthy for response. You... You should be ashamed of yourself. I should be ashamed of myself. I'm trying to wake the whole human race up to what's going on right around them. And you tell me that I should be ashamed. You're some kind of lunatic. I'm the lunatic. Right. Right. Because I'm the one that saw an advanced civilization that could possibly help us as a world community. And I chose to keep it to myself. Right. Sir, I have three PhDs in subcultural studies of the Saab Haran 
Mexico. I also have three PhDs in extraterrestrial investigation, paranormal investigation. Uh, a, huh, huh, three PhDs in mal- malarkey. And mathematics. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> what, 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 what? <laughs> Which university? Uh, Princeton. Oh, that's great. I, I have many friends in Princeton. Are, are you familiar with uh, Professor Jameson and the uh, mathematics and physics oh, department? Oh, Professor Jameson. Oh, <laughs> what a character <laughs> that guy was. <laughs> Man, how would you like to get a beer? Uh, that'd be fantastic. Wow. And you see, kids, it's just that simple. Same. <laughs> it's just that simple to solve your differences with other people. <laughs> that's great. There'll be more characters in upcoming episodes. <laughs> All right. I think those that's like really good. Like I think you could pitch that like a, in an SNL kind of environment. A conspiracy theorist and, and, and an academic. And people would be into it. Yeah. yeah. Who become friends. I think comedy writer like might be like my I, dream aspirational kind of job. Like if you like the like musician is kind of in the same sphere uh-huh. or comedian or something like that. Yeah. That's like my throw everything and restart plan. Yeah. I feel like I relate to that. There's a part of me that every now and then thinks about like stand up, like just trying stand up. Uh-huh. Cause like I was listening to a podcast, a different podcast that I listened to that interviewed Kamal Nanjiani. And it's crazy cause it just uh-huh. came out like last month or something, but he's talking about the big sick, which I watched very recently. It worked out. We're like, I were, I watched that recently and then he did an interview about it recently. And, uh, oh, cool. he was talking about him getting into stand up. And he was like, man, I just became this like huge fan of stand-up, you know, like way more so than all my friends. And so I was like, I just need to try it, I guess, if I'm this into it. And now uh-huh. it's like, because I, you know, talk to some people I hang out with around here and I'm always like looking for good stand-up shows. Uh-huh. And out of my friends, I'm definitely like into stand-up like more than any of them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, maybe I need to like pay more attention to that i don't think that like the barrier to go trying to do like an open mic night is that big no it's not like if you want if you wanted to get serious about it and put some you know pedal to the metal yeah they have like a open night mic night at like stanford's campus like in the little coffee shop area Mm -hmm. and i was there accidentally one night and it was pretty good and it felt like a good environment that sounds awesome Yeah. yeah we should do that next time you're around i'm around there there's not a lot of i'm sure there are open mics here i just haven't gone to them whatever i i have i have one thing that i legitimately wanted to ask you about in the movie i feel like it might be kind of a plot hole in atlantis i don't understand when did atlantis in the timeline of the movie become a lost city that's a good question um 360 bc so that's when you know there's this quote that said that it sunk into the sea or that uh, in a single day of misfortune, Atlantis disappeared into the depths of the sea, Plato, 360 BC. But I think I know what you're talking about, and there's this like part where Milo is talking to the main female character, whose name is Kida, uh-huh. and he's like, well, that would make you eight, 88 or 100 years old, or something like that. Uh-huh. But I think what happened is that he was saying like that you're 8,800 years old. Like you're 8,800 years old, which would make more sense, right? Because I think it's well, supposed <laughs> it's supposed to, I think it's supposed to be that like this. Are they immortal? Yeah, because of the crystal. <laughs> Do your character. Because <laughs> of the crystals. 
because of the crystals that the extra extraterrestrials gave them. Yeah, that's exactly the scene I was talking about. Because I couldn't figure out it would it wouldn't make any sense at all if Atlantis had just sunk like a hundred years ago. That's like no time by historical standards. Right. We would have known a lot more about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, my remember like when a few decades ago when that city just fucking sank. That was crazy. Yeah. My grandpa just told me a story about it. He saw it. He watched it. That's how it yeah. would go down. But yeah, I think I th- it's like 10,000 years ago or something, like when it goes down. Because they had also referenced, like, the Atlantean people do die. Yeah, most of them. Right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the leader guy. And they had made mention of previous generations of Atlanteans. Mm-hmm. So I think the movie uh, makes it so, you know, how Atlantis, like, the city as a whole is, like, destroyed at the beginning but there's this like section of it that let oh yeah all the surrounding stuff is also right and so there's a section of it that like gets protected and then sinks into the sea and becomes the cavern that you see in the movie but i think that the idea is that that crystal thing whatever the energy source is that's keeping them alive that that made the shield that protected them Uh and like you think that that was the preservation chamber yeah so essentially yeah that's basically what i'm saying is it acted as this like shield and like preservation chamber so everybody grows really old with inside of it got it i had actually the first time i heard it i actually heard it correctly i heard him say 80 hundred years old Mm -hmm. i'm like did he just say 80 hundred eight thousand years Mm -hmm. and then stacy and i talked about Mm -hmm. it and she's like, no, no, he's like, he said 80, 100. Right. Easy to make that mistake. 110. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes more sense. Uh-huh. And then later it chanced upon me. like, wait, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Yeah. That would make you 100 years old. So mystery solved. Yeah, I think so. But other than that, you got any cool scenes that you liked in either of these movies? What do you think of the... Um, uh, the the uh, big stone people from the end of Atlantis, uh-huh. how they like came out. They're like these huge colossal giants. I love them, and they're they're the things that like put the shield over Atlantis. Yeah, they're kind of like so cool. They just they look like animated statues. I think through like the yes. crystal energy. So quick parallel back to like El Dorado. Like those are essentially the exact analogous thing to the stone dog that came to life. Yeah exactly in El Dorado. yeah totally yeah these giant like stone things coming to life with magic but i thought they were cool and i think you said this in the chat that they look very shadow of colossusy the video game yeah uh which is just there's something about that look where it's this kind of lifeless thing like older kind of easter isle style statues are just uh-huh. these like expressionless like cylinder headed things well, you know what else is fascinating about watching them is just because they're so big, like the physics of their bodies are so different than ours. Uh-huh. It's like a swing of an arm. I'm, I'm swinging my arm right now. <laughs> is is like for us, it takes like one second, but for them, it takes several like, seconds. You know, like three minutes to just fucking travel like a mile in the air. Yeah. Uh, and so something about that, just like watching the movements of a human form change with scale is something that i think about all the time i've always thought that was an interesting exercise and it's it helped me kind of understand relativity because like take we're talking about ants recently right Uh so like in the movie ants the the characters are ants right they perceive the world around them going in real time like we would 
uh-huh. 24 right. frames per second. All of our movements look the same. But if you recall, in ants, when humans show up, which are these like colossal giants, they move incredibly yeah. <laughs> slowly. Yeah, that is so like cool the f- that you brought there's that up. There's this uh, scene where like one of the characters is, at- is attached to like a shoe. And like you literally see this shoe like going across this uh, like sidewalk panel that to them it's like miles. Like the shoe is like traveling like miles and assuming like hundreds of miles per hour in terms of speed relative to them. I've had nightmares of that like the feeling of being so small and on something huge moving unbelievably fast from your perspective. Uh-huh. Like the feeling of that hand. Uh-huh. I've had like, nightmares <laughs> of that. But that's a cool thought experiment, right? Because, like, the human that, is, like, experiencing time yeah. in its own way. But, like... It's very realistic in that, in that right. sense. That's why ants, like, when you look at them on the ground, they're moving so, like, erratically compared to right. us. I really like uh, the sequence in Atlantis when they uh, are sort of in the, the cavernous part of what's leading up to Atlantis. Um, because they start in the ocean, right? They start at, in a submarine. And it, it almost seems like they make it out to be that that is going to be the majority of the voyage is on that submarine. But the submarine very quickly like goes out the window, right? Because right. they get trapped in this like cavern for some reason, like this air pocket cavern. I guess he talks about that early on, but it seemed like the submarine was going to be more involved. Yeah. It was just to get through that like loop thing Uh and then it's like open air water like regular ocean surface but i like the whole like the most of them getting to atlantis is through that cavern i feel like that's where like the main montage takes place where they're like going through all these like landmarks and there's like a parallel uh montage in road to el dorado where they're like finding all of the landmarkers on the map Uh uh-huh and then eventually, the, so like there's the exact same sequence of things in both those movies where it's like, all right, we got to have the landmark montage. And I, <laughs> I enjoy both of them, but I like the whole image of like, like a center of the earth cavern in the Atlantis one more. Yeah. It makes me think of that book because they have that exact same thing in the, in the movies book, right? This like underground world that's like has a ceiling on mm-hmm. it, but it like has plants and life and everything you'd find. Right. Okay. So. My final thoughts on this movie are, or movies, my final thoughts on these movies. No, it's one movie. Okay. <laughs> we can say it. My final thoughts on the road to Atlantis lost city of goldfish <laughs> <laughs> is uh, that I enjoy both of them. I think I'm taking more entertainment value in how well we kind of like mistakenly match these two movies up and how similar they are. Like, we did it very sporadically. Like, no thought went into using these as a double feature, and they turned out to be, like, the best double feature combo in the world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that I took more entertainment from that than I did the movies individually. But I like both of them for different reasons. I like that they are both kids' movies, easy to digest. There's some adult stuff in each of them. But they are both contrastingly good movies. Like, they complement themselves really well. It's, like dinner and a dessert it felt feels exactly like how a double feature should mm-hmm. so i don't have anything more complex to say about it than that cool do you want to finish it off with your rating and then i'll do my final take on rating i'm gonna give both of these movies combined because i'm not gonna rate them individually i'm gonna say both of these movies combined 
I'm going to give a 6.5 ancient maps out of 10. Okay. I'm going to do my rating and then do my final thoughts just because, like, I just I want to do my rating now that you okay. do yours. Okay. So I'm going to give this score an average of 8.7 out of 10. Okay. Uh, one movie got... 0.3 out of 10 and then the other movie got like 17 something <laughs> out of 10 and i'm not going to tell you which one's which okay like uh, <laughs> gold a uh, gold horseshoes out of 10 that's from el dorado <laughs> the the moment of struggle like right before is the best part 8.7 beans lard and whiskey out of 10 Ooh. I love that character. I can't believe we didn't talk about him. Yeah. Cookie. <laughs> his yeah. name's Cookie. I love that guy. What was his special? Cooking. He's like a he's like a caricature of like the old like cookie like um cook character from like the western. Right, right. No, very western. Uh but my final thoughts on the movie are just that I really enjoyed them. They they are like a nostalgic treat for myself. I remember watching these movies and stuff in this animation style when I was younger. And so it's a great throwback. Mm-hmm. The animation style is like very adult, right? Adult. It's not cute at all. But yeah, so it's just like it's it's on the scale of like Mickey Mouse to just like very realistic drawings. It's somewhere on that spectrum. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like I've rambled a little bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe a little bit <laughs> okay let me do that again uh you know what i really thought about this movie is that it was really good yeah perfect cue music thanks for listening this week our music is by w look him up at underscore w on instagram that's underscore the word double and two u's editing this week was done again by grace Fawcett. thank you grace thank you grace Wherever you're listening, give us a good rating. Connect with us at at FilmholePod on Twitter and Instagram. Special thanks to Brady Goodman for hosting our podcast. Mm-hmm. We'd also like to thank uh, Chris and Savannah for joining us for the movie and subsequent discussions. Yep. And Grace. And Grace. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks again. See you next week. See you next week. week. <laughs> <laughs>